Thank you, Nick, for reading our scripture. Nick does a great job reading. We appreciate him. Very grateful for all of our young folks and for the contributions that they make to our worship and to the work here. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and really, in our lesson tonight, it's more of an overview, just a brief overview of chapter 11. And what I'd like to do is maybe go back and look in detail at some of the great heroes of faith that are spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11. But tonight I want us to talk for a minute or two about how we ought to live by faith and obedience to God. Hebrews chapter 11 is a mountaintop passage, I think, that emphasizes this great truth that faith and obedience go hand in hand. So I want to begin tonight by talking first and foremost about, I guess, a definition, a working definition of faith. Because in order to appreciate this great chapter, we have to have some type of understanding of faith, what it is and what it is not. And so let's talk a minute or two about the definition that is provided for us by the Hebrew writer, by way of overview. Listen, if you would, to what the writer said, verse 1. Faith is the substance, the realization of things hoped for, the evidence or the confidence of things not seen. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. First and foremost, I guess by way of definition, an explanation of faith. Faith, the bottom line is, gives substance and reality to things not seen. The Hebrew writer here tells us that faith is the substance, the realization of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I want to ask this question. How would you go about demonstrating evidence for faith in the Lord? If somebody were to ask you, do you have rock-solid evidence for your faith in the Lord? What would you say? Now, there is no empirical data. In other words, we can't empirically know that there's a God by touch, taste, our senses. We can't know God by seeing Him, can we? But we can know that there is a God, and we can have faith in God because of the abundance of evidence. Now, you might ask the question, well, what kind of evidence are you talking about? You're saying that faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith gives substance and reality to things which are not seen. That's right. So how, then, can I have the faith that's spoken of in Scripture? I mean, after all, Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. So how, then, do we walk by faith? What about the evidence? Well, look again at verse 3. When I think about the evidence for faith in God, there are two things that stand out. Number one, I can know that there is a God and I can have faith in this God based on the evidence of creation. Listen again to what the writer said. Faith, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The Genesis account, when God 
created the world. How did he do that? Do you remember? God spoke this world into existence, didn't he? When he said, let there be light, wasn't it God who made man in his own image and likeness? Yes. So we talk about creation. The fact that creation says something about an almighty creator. Now back in Hebrews chapter 3 at verse 4, the writer said, Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. The podium that I'm standing behind tonight suggests that somebody took the time and effort to construct this piece of furniture out of wood. By the same token, the world in which we live says something about the creative power of Almighty God. Think again about what the Hebrew writer said. Every house is built by some man. The home that you live in, somebody sometime built that home, didn't they? Didn't just appear. So can I know that there is a God on the basis of creation? Yes, that's what the writer's saying. And listen, the Hebrew writer says that God did not use material that was in existence to frame the world. But rather, God made the world out of nothing. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus was the agent by which the world was made. And he said, by him were all things created in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Are there things that bless us in this life that we visibly cannot see? Yes, one of which is oxygen. So you think about the almighty creator is the one who framed this world. The world itself is evidence of a designer. Somebody that took the time to create this vast universe. So first and foremost, when it comes to faith, we understand that faith is a result, our faith in God, a result of what we can see by way of creation. What was it the psalmist said in Psalm 19? Do you remember? The heavens declare the glory of God. He said the firmament shows his handiwork. When we step outside this building and look up into the skies, and we think about the sun, the moon, the stars, doesn't that say something about the almighty creator? Isn't it a continual sermon to people of every generation that there is a God? Yes. So first, creation, and then secondly, revelation. God's word is what ultimately produces faith in the lives of believers. Now Paul said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Take, for example, this book that we call the Bible. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. 66 inspired books in what we call the Bible. Every single book in Scripture is interwoven one with another. They fit hand in glove, don't they? And you think about over a period of some 1,500, 1,600 years, 40 different writers 
produced by inspiration this book that we call the Bible. What would be the chances of 40 individuals at different points in time in history sitting down and writing a collection of books and all of the things that were said harmonizing? What would be the probability of that? And yet every single book from Genesis to Revelation fits hand in glove, doesn't it? So there's something to be said about the revelation that we have from, all, from Almighty God. Now, Paul said all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So God's Word lends testimony to the fact that there is an Almighty. So somebody asks the question, well, how then are you a person of faith? I mean, how is it that you can attest to having faith in Almighty God? You haven't seen Him. You haven't verbally heard Him speak. You've never touched Him. You've never taken a picture of Him. How do you have faith in a God like that? Do you remember what is said in Hebrews chapter 11 about Moses? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible talks about Moses forsaking Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Just because I cannot see God, touch him, or anything else, doesn't mean that he doesn't exist. There is a God, right? How then do I have faith in that God? Well, two ways. Creation and revelation. And the writer here is saying, look, faith is what undergirds everything. If you want to give substance and reality to your life, what do you need? You need faith in God. Blind faith? No. But rather, faith that is based on what? Evidence. Don't we have Evidence for a God? Yes. It's abundance of evidence. Now, we talk about this overview of faith, but what about the object of our faith? Drop down, look at verse 6. The writer said, by, he said, but without faith it's impossible to be, to be pleasing to him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I mentioned just a moment ago some reasons why we can believe in God. Creation and revelation. God is the aim, the object of our faith, isn't he? Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. So we have this confidence that there is an almighty God. Are we not supposed to have that same kind of faith in Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords? When Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin, and you go back to the book of Genesis, and Moses is recording the fact that God would send his son, the promised seed, into the world to redeem the human family from sin and unrighteousness. And so, those Old Testament writers are pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. Isaiah says he's going to be born of a virgin. Matthew picks that up in Matthew chapter 1 and goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and says in relationship to the birth of Jesus, this is that 
which was spoken of the Lord through the prophet. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted or translated is God with us. Jesus came to earth. Did Jesus prove to those in the first century that he was who he claimed to be? Is there evidence for us to believe that Jesus is everything he claimed to be in the New Testament? Do you remember, do you remember in John chapter 5, Jesus said, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Jesus did an abundance of miracles, didn't he? And John said in John chapter 20, Many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but he said, these are written. Why? That you might believe. During his earthly ministry, Jesus asked the question on one occasion, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The response was, some say, some say you, you're Jeremiah, some Elijah, one of the prophets. But Jesus wanted to know, who do you think I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, can we have faith in Jesus as the Son of God? The answer is yes. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, except you believe that I am. The translators provide that word, he. In other words, unless you believe that I am the self-existent one, you'll die in your sins. So can I have faith in God the Father? Yes. Can I have faith in Jesus Christ? Again, the answer is yes. Is there evidence for that? Absolutely. And we talk about evidence for God, creation and revelation. The evidence for Jesus, his great message, the miracles that he performed. And then the historical data that's available. We can go back and read the historians what they have said about the Christ. And that has something to say about his deity. So you, I guess, begin by defining faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Secondly, there is the demonstration of faith. There's something that stands out in Hebrews chapter 11. And that is every single person spoken of in Scripture demonstrated two very important things. Faith and obedience. Every single time. We're not going to take the time to look in depth at all these people because we don't have time. But I would like to come back and look at these individuals of faith. In verse 4, the writer talks about worshiping by faith. The example, Abel. And the Bible says, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead still speaks. Faith today, or I guess I ought to back up and say, worship today is by faith, isn't it? By the direction of God. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
The Lord has given us specific instructions as to how we're to worship Him. And we, like Abel, comply. In so doing, we demonstrate what? Faith and obedience. And then there is Enoch, the walk of faith. The Bible says, by faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 5, that he walked with God. Here's an individual who walked by faith with Almighty God. In other words, he walked in harmony with the will of God, didn't he? Faith and obedience. Verse 7, the work of faith, Noah. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. When God said to Noah, I'm going to destroy the world by means of a flood, and I want you to build an ark of gopher wood, did that not take faith and obedience? God was going to destroy the human family. Noah and his family survived the flood. How so? Noah complied with the will of God, and so... Moses records for us by way of commentary, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Faith and obedience. Verse 8, we read about a man by the name of Abraham, an individual who wandered by faith. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God called on a man by the name of Abraham to become the father of the Hebrew nation. And God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your homeland and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. The writer here picks up on that. God had said to Abraham, in you shall all nations, all families of the earth be blessed. So listen to what the writer says. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Now you talk about faith. God said to Abraham, to Abraham, I want you to go. And what did Abraham do? He went, didn't he? And so we talk about complying with the will of God. Abraham, as you well know, had the opportunity to go to the land of Canaan. And with the exception of a burial ground, he owned no property there, not a bit. But rather he dwelt there as a stranger, a sojourner, a pilgrim. And the Bible says he waited for the city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Drop down if you would, look at verse 24. Here we talk about the wisdom of faith. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now you think about here's an individual that had the court of Pharaoh at his fingertips. 
the world, as we would say, at his fingertips. And he turned away from all of that to associate with God's people. I think there are two things that stand out here. First, the Bible says, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And the second, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now listen. For he looked to the reward. That's faith. Faith looks beyond the world in which we live. Faith says there's something better awaiting us. And then I think about the warrior of faith, and that would be Joshua. General Joshua. Listen to what it said in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. You remember the command of God? Do you remember what God said back in the book of, jo back in the book of Joshua regarding their taking Jericho? The specific commands given, did they comply? Yes, they did. So think about it. In Hebrews chapter 11, you have a number of individuals who lived by faith. But faith was coupled with what? With obedience. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the difficulties of faith. One of the things I think that really stands out and shines in Hebrews chapter 11 is the fact that God's people, individuals who demonstrated tremendous faith and trust in Him, they recognize that, you know what, just because I believe in God, just because I follow Him, doesn't exempt me from tough times. So what you have, the suffering of God's people. And linked to that, their steadfastness. The fact that they found a way to grind it out day in, day out. They never gave up. We call it perseverance or endurance. So look at verse 32. What more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. He said still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. All those great Old Testament characters, they are a link to the past, are they not? We talk about the Christ coming into the world. 
And the promised seed needed, or rather the promised seed entailed a seed line. Abraham was a part of that seed line. And you can run it or trace it through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, etc. The great prophets that foretold the coming of the Christ. Time and again, God's people would become spiritually bankrupt. Prophets would be sent to them in order to bring them back. There, there was the Assyrian captivity in, captivity in about 722, 721 B.C. The southern kingdom went into captivity in 605. There were actually three carryings away, culminating in about 586 B.C. And so you go back in history and you think about all of the people of God and some of the difficulties and trials. And think about the prophets for a minute. Can you name one prophet that had it easy? Were they popular? Did the people of their day love them? In most cases, they did not. They despised them. And yet, they were pointing each and every one. They were pointing people back to God. They were pointing people to God. And they were pointing people to the coming of the Son of God. All working together, were they not? I mentioned a moment ago, these folks suffered. But they were resolute, they were steadfast in their faith. So look, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 12. When you look at the context of the book of Hebrews, the writer is stressing faithfulness to God. There were some Christians in the first century of Jewish background that were going back to Judaism. Some had gone back, some were on the verge of going back, and the writer's saying, whoa, wait a minute. Why would you want to go back to an inferior system? The new covenant is based on better promises. It's a better covenant. And so, discouragement, despondency had set in. And so the writer said, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the and." He said, the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The writer is saying, look, you want inspiration? Do you want to know that you can make it to the finish line? Then look back at all these great, these great men and women of God. Individuals that did not necessarily have it easy in their lifetime, but, who, but people who through faith and obedience to God gave their best day in and day out. The Grizzlies, I guess for a long time, were known as grit and grind. Maybe we're beyond that now, if you like the Grizzlies. But you think about Christianity. Christianity is about people who are willing to grit and grind their way every day. Is it easy? No. Do I get discouraged? Do you get discouraged? Yes, why? Because we're human beings. Things don't always go the way we want them to go. There are unexpected turns in life. There are tough times. There are difficult days. There are trials and temptations, tribulations. And the writer here is saying, look, they made it and you can make it. They were the bridge to the past, were they not? So if they made it, we can make it. So look at what he says in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Now, note the application. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Do you think Noah, perchance, became discouraged and despondent? The Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. Here's a guy out here building an ark, building a vessel no one had ever seen before. And he's out here day in and day out building an ark. And people are probably walking by saying to him, what in the world are you doing, Noah? What do you think? What do you think you're building this vessel for? You think he became discouraged at times? What about Abraham? You think he ever got discouraged? What about Moses? Go back and read the Old Testament record the life of Moses. You want to talk about a guy that had some adversity. And look, I get, think about Moses for a minute. He leads the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And God performs miracle after miracle after miracle, opening the door for their release. And then once they get out of Egypt, what do they want to do? They want to go back to Egypt. Remember when God told Moses to speak to the rock and water would come out? What did he do? You remember? Anybody remember? Did he speak to the rock? Struck it, didn't he? I get it. He had had a belly full of those folks. They're murmuring and complaining. You talk about discouraging. But he soldiered on, didn't he? So, if they could make it, we can make it too, can't we? Not always easy. Don't necessarily understand everything going on. But I know this, by faith, I can make it and you can make it. Because they made it. Fourthly and finally, notice if you would the destiny of faith. The Bible says that these folks lived by faith. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 7, by faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. You get the point, don't you? Here were people that lived by faith. What then is the consummation of faith? What are you in Christian? What's Christianity all about to you? I mean, what are you hoping for out of living the Christian life? Is there something better you're waiting on? Hope so. Are there tangible blessings that we enjoy as God's people today? Yes, there are. I don't know how many times I've said it, but I really believe it to be the case. The best possible life is the Christian life. 
It's the best life because it's the blessed life. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, every spiritual blessing known to man, it's in Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are rich beyond words. Paul said that God has raised us up together with him, that we might enjoy the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness. So you think about how wealthy you are in Christ. All the great blessings and favors that we enjoy, because after all, as a child of God, we are a royal blue blood, aren't we not? We're a child of the king, aren't we? We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We got all these great blessings and favors. So we're living by faith. We're grinding it out day in, day out. These folks live by faith. But the legacy of faith, Notice, if you would, what is said in verse 13. In verse 13, the Bible says, concerning these great people of the past, these all died in faith. They lived by faith. And the Bible says they died in faith. They looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I don't know if you've thought about it or not, we close the new year with a funeral. Chuck Williams. Chuck was beloved by, I guess, everybody here. It's been a long time since I have been at a funeral for someone 87 years of age, and the house was packed. Standing room. That's, that's how many people were present because they love Chuck Williams. The very next week, we had another funeral, same funeral home. Jill Parker, who used to attend here, but had a number of health issues, and she passed away. So we began the new year with another funeral. And then, out of the blue, Sonny Ray died. Three weeks in a row. Same funeral home. The common bond. All Christians. All members of the church. At Olive Branch. Is there something to Christianity? You know what the answer is? Yes. Because... When it's all said and done, and let me tell you what, our time's coming too. When it's all said and done, it's all about living by faith and dying in faith. And if you're not a Christian, you're missing out on so much right now. And more importantly, you'll miss out on what lies ahead. So my prayer is that we would live by faith and obedience to God. You see, God blesses people who walk in faith, doesn't he? Who are compliant to his will. We're blessed in so many ways. We can do his will and hear him say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. A couple of weeks ago when Jared and I and Mr. Billy were called to the hospital, 
we got the call that Sonny Ray had been taken to the emergency room. And we were at the visitation for David and Kathy Taylor's nephew. It was on a Wednesday morning. When we got to the hospital, Sonny had, he had already been gone for a while. And Tommy asked Jared and me, how do you guys do this? And I told him, the older I get, the more difficult it becomes. And maybe that's because I understand I won't be here forever. And I understand that where they were at that time, saying goodbye to a loved one, I will probably be in the future. So, it's about living for God day in and day out, never giving up. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God. If you're willing to repent of your sins, like Peter said on Pentecost Day, and be baptized into Christ, the promise is God will forgive you of every sin. And then if you'll live faithfully until death, the promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight and your life's not what it ought to be, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And I don't want those words to sound trite. I want you, I want you to know that we would be more than happy to pray with you and for you because that's what we're supposed to do as family. So if we can assist you in any way, please come as we stand and sing.